for the night. <clears throat> so how's everyone? Good? Awesome. Dan, you don't like ice cream? But you like donuts? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've had that conversation. I'll leave it there, though. I won't take it any further than that. No. <laughs> Turn me in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 26. We're going to start here. And then uh, Acts 26, we're going to start in verse 12. And, uh, and we'll just read down from there. And let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that it's true. Lord, I thank you that we have ears to hear and eyes to see because your spirit has enabled us to see Christ, to know Christ, and to be known by Christ. Father, I thank you that you've apprehended us tonight, Lord, by your gospel, and that all over this room tonight there are stories of transformed lives that have been changed by the power of your good news. Lord, we have been liberated from darkness. We have had shackles broken off of us and chains, Lord, broken off of us, Lord, because you have saved us and set us free. And Lord, we are the people of the redeemed. And Lord, we are your righteousness. And we give you praise and we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done tonight. I pray tonight that we have an arousal of faith that would reach out, Lord, and take your word and begin to act on it and see what you would do in the lives of every single one of us. Lord, I thank you right now that you're working even in our hearts as we sit here and we hear your word preached in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So Acts chapter 26, the context is Paul the Apostle. And uh, tonight I'm going to be a little lighter than I was. Listen, last week was shock and all, okay? Uh, <laughs> a little heavy. But, but, the, but the reality is the weight of the gospel. The mission and the mandate requires that. Sometimes we need woken up out of our sleep and our slumber and, and we, need, we, need, we need God to shake us from complacency and say, rise up to the task that I've called you, right? So sometimes we need that. But uh, um, tonight here, I want to show, we're going to go through several passages and I just want to show how the gospel works in relation to, to salvation and what is the content of the gospel message and how that actually brings us into salvation and what it does for us. And then we'll do a little exercise towards the end, hopefully. I, I, we'll, we'll get there. So Acts 26, Paul is on trial and he's standing before Agrippa and he's given his account of his conversion in this passage and it's... And what's awesome about this is because whenever we think of Paul's Damascus Road experience, we go to Acts chapter 9 or Acts chapter 22, where Luke has given his account and where Paul's given his account, and we read, you know, this, this dramatic um, encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. But in this passage, what's so unique about it is Paul actually gives us a little bit more insight into what Jesus said to him. Right? We all know Jesus said, I will, you know, I will show, I'm sending you right, to the Gentiles. I'm going to show you what things you must suffer for my name's sake. And, um, and, and that's usually where Luke and, and Paul leaves it at that. And how many know this, that when Jesus called Paul to suffer for his name's sake, that wasn't because Jesus wanted to punish him. He was giving him honor. That was an honor and a privilege to suffer the way Jesus suffered. Amen. But here, Paul gives some details. So let's read. It says, while thus occupied, and what was he occupied with? Um, Acts 26, verse 12, starting verse 12. And what he was occupied with, killing and harassing Christians and putting them in prison. And we'll get, we'll get back to that. But it says, while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest... At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, I, uh, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I love that, <laughs> they had all fallen to the ground. Um, when we had all fallen, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And here's the verse I want to hone in on, 16, 17, 18. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. And I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. I love that. And then he says this, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus gives him his commission. He gives him his marching orders. He, he gives him his mission. You're going to suffer for my name's sake. I'm sending you to the Gentiles, but this is why I'm sending you. Because you're going to go and open blind eyes. You're going to turn people from darkness to light. You're going to cause them by faith to receive an inheritance after they have repented of their sins and received remission of those sins. They will receive an inheritance with the saints. And that is God's expectation and his hope for the world. He wants people to not, not be condemned and perish and suffer and struggle. He wants them liberated. He wants them to come out of darkness. He wants to see them set free and to have their sins washed away. Amen? So Paul, so Jesus is, after he knocked Paul off his high horse, as we say, and, 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 and got him to look up and recognize that this is Jesus in whom he is fighting against his Lord. Um, but notice what he says. I love in verse 12 because he says, rise and stand on your feet. And church, i got to tell you, it's time for us to rise and stand on Amen. our feet. Amen. You're right. It's time for me, it's time for you, it's time for us. It's time for this generation in America. How many see our nation perishing? It's in peril and it's in darkness. And it's getting worse every day, by the hour, by the minute, right? And, and so it's not time for the church to sit back and wait for our escape hatch or whatever. It's not, it's not time for the church to rest on our laurels because we got all of Jesus and they don't. It's not time for the church to kind of just wait. It's time for us to rise up and stand on our feet. Amen. And you know what's so cool about this? Imagine if Paul had not done it. We wouldn't know who Paul is. Right? What if he would have rejected that commission? What if he would have said, you know, I, I, I got saved. I believe Jesus, you're my Lord. But I don't know about going and, and doing all that stuff you're trying to tell me to do. Like, you know, you're going to send me somewhere, right? You know, no, but see, Paul um, had such an encounter with Jesus. And you know what's amazing? Let me say this, too, because while we're here, because it's going to tie into some things. Um, Paul encountered Jesus on a Damascus road. And he still needed Ananias to come to his house and minister to him, baptize him, and, and lay hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit, right? So no matter how great our experiences are, they need to be tied into the church. Amen. They need to come into the fellowship of others, because we don't baptize ourselves, right? right? And our baptism, right, is, our, is, is how we are brought into the kingdom in, or into the uh, church. It's, it's, our, it's our entrance into the church of Jesus Christ. We're baptized by brothers and sisters in the faith who are incorporating us, you know, visibly into the body of Christ. We're spiritually there by faith in Christ alone, but physically we're there by co because we received baptism. And let me just say this, your baptism was your ordination as well. Your baptism was your ordination. Your infilling was your commission. When you were, how many is filled with the Holy Spirit in here? You can just, guess what? You've been commissioned by the Holy Ghost. Because we receive power for what? To speak in tongues, shout around the church, dance, interpret, prophesy. No, we receive power to what? Be witnesses. Right? That's why we receive power. Yes, that power extends itself in the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, that power extends itself in the edification of the body and the raising up of the church. Um, but the power is to be a witness. The Greek word for witness there is martros. We don't like that word. We like witness better. But <laughs> um, martros is where we get the word martyr from. So when Jesus is saying, you shall receive power, look, they all understood exactly what he said when he said martros. Because, because to be, the, it's going to take power to lay down your life for Jesus. Amen. And here's the thing about that word martyrs. We think martyr, those who die for the faith. But it's not just those who die for the faith. It's, it's also those who have a life confirmation. Your life testifies to Jesus. Your life gives validity to the gospel. Your life speaks volumes. Your life, your, your life preaches as much as your words preach, right? So your life gives and your, the way you live and the way you uh, will suffer for the faith and endure um, the faith, that is what causes the world to take notice. How many has ever been at work and someone just noticed something's different about you? Amen. Right? 
I remember one time I was working construction, I had this, this guy I worked with, and this guy was just accident prone. I mean, crazy accidents would happen to this guy all day long. Stuff that was impossible to happen to a normal person. Um, so he, and and, and I, he, he was just, he was a miserable guy, and uh, poor, poor guy. And, uh, and, and I remember one day, I'm just coming in, and you know, I'm just, I'm not even thinking about anything other than, and he's worked with me for months. And one day he got so mad at me, he started screaming at me because he couldn't understand why I was happy literally angry with me. He's like, why are you always jolly and red-faced? <laughs> You're always laughing. What's wrong with you? Right? So I, I shared the gospel with him. And I told him what happened. God saved me and set me free. I used to be a drug addict. I used, to be, I used to be a wreck. I used to be a mess. And Jesus came and delivered me and set me free. And Tony, he can set you free. He's like, I don't want any of that stuff. Right? So um, anyhow, I, I don't know whatever happened to poor Tony, but, but I pray, but see, your life becomes a witness, but, but not, but Paul couldn't just say I had an experience and let that experience rub off on others. Um, he also had to go and to preach, right? He had to go and preach because it's faith comes by hearing and seeing, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in this text, Paul, here he is, he's given this commission, rise and stand on your feet. In OBM, it's time for us to rise. It's time for us to stand on our feet. And I just, how many has been going out with me on Tuesdays? Just in here, show of hands, on Tuesdays, look around. And, and there's more than that. Bless you guys. <laughs> that is so awesome. Isn't that awesome? Look around, you see these guys, raise your hands again. They're all going out and they're winning souls every week. We're seeing Jesus move and touch lives. Every week. And, um, and, and imagine, imagine if you, I said that and we looked across this room and every hand went up. Imagine the exponential power of the gospel. Imagine what that would do in our communities. Because already people in Lima, where we're going to South Lima, and the vision isn't just to go to Lima, it's to go every single city within a 30-mile radius to have Luke 10 teams that are out sharing the gospel with people and loving on people. So, so imagine, because right now already people are recognized, hey, you guys are here every week, you're here all the time, and you spend time and you're talking with us and you're loving us. They're, recognized that, they're recognizing that we're there, because the goal isn't to go in, you know, hit them and then leave, right? Because we did our outreach, we're done, we're not coming back. No, we're still in there. The outreach is over, but we're not done winning souls there. God's still liberating and setting people free. Amen? Amen? Last night we, we were out and it was, there was quite a few of us and me and Rob Bolner went to downtown um, into the city part of Lima. And we just got a little radical. And, uh, so, <laughs> and, and, and we're like, any person we've seen, anybody. So we're walking. Okay, there's a guy smoking a cigarette. He's ours, right? So we, we just start going towards him. And, and there was roofers working up on the roof, and he had a ladder. It's like, okay, we got a whole, we got a whole congregation up there. Let's go get him, right? And uh, one guy came down, and we ended up sharing and ministering and witnessing to him, and he rejected us flat out. And, and that's okay. And uh, so you just keep going, right? To, you find the person of peace. You find the one that's open and available, and you pray for him. And listen, let me say this, too. Just because they say no, it doesn't mean no. I have learned this by preaching the gospel, witnessing and testifying to Jesus, that just because they say no, doesn't mean no. One guy, a real big guy, very intimidating, sitting at the bus stop. We, it was a bus stop. It was great because they're all right there. So we, we go up to the bus stop, the first group, this guy sitting there, and uh, Rob, Rob says, hey, you got, you, would you like a free Bible? We're going to have free Bible. I was like, no. <laughs> puts his hand up. I don't want to, you know, I don't want anything. Uh, I don't, no, I'm good. I'm good. He wouldn't even look at us. Never even, never even turned and looked. And uh, so he's like, well, we're, we're praying for people. Would you like prayer? I'm good. <laughs> and uh, no. So I stepped up to him and I said, hey man, what's your name? And uh, he told me his name. I told him mine, shook hands. I said, listen, I know we're Jesus freaks out here and we're crazy and all that stuff. I said, I said but, but the why we're doing it is because we believe it's so important um, to tell people about the good news of Jesus because God loves you, right? I said, Jesus loves you, man. I said, you know that? I said, he loves you. I said, what's wrong with your knee? Because he had a brace on his knee. I said, what's wrong with your knee? He's like, oh, I got arthritis and it hurts. I can hardly walk on it. I said, can I pray for it? And he goes, sure. So I sat down next to him <laughs> and, and Rob and I laid hands on his knees and I just prayed for healing. And I said, how's it feel? He goes, man, the pain's gone. He starts, he starts moving around. He's like, he stood up. I said, Jesus loves you. 
right? And he goes, I love Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I love Jesus. And, you know, see, if we step out, the Bible says these signs will follow those that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. It just takes a little bit of craziness to step out and say, you know what? There's a sick person in the street. I'm going to, I'm going to put the word to the test, right? I'm going to, Jesus said these signs will follow. I believe they will follow and, and Jesus can heal you. And, and there was another lady with the walker. She's sitting down. She was downtown and went up to her. How are you doing? I'm in excruciating pain. My back hurts. This was Tuesday night. I said, well, can we pray for you? She's like, sure. Like, like it ain't going to hurt, right? And uh, so we laid hands on her, and, and she goes, well, it's a little better. It still hurts. Okay, let's pray again. Jesus prayed twice. Uh, you know, one guy seen trees, and he had to pray again. Let, let's, if he pray, had to pray again, I'll pray again. So I laid hands on him, laid hands on her, and at first, no, it still hurts. All right, we're going to pray again. We're not giving up. And uh, so we prayed again. Next thing you know, she stood up from her walker and was like, wow. She goes, I've been in pain all day. It has not let up all day. She goes, and right now it's gone. Amen. Amen. And, and listen, she didn't want a Bible at first, and then she says, I'll take one of those Bibles. <laughs> I'll take one of those Bibles. And, and because that's, you know, when we go out there, God is setting people. He, what is happening? What is happening? The, power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the good news of Jesus that comes and sets people free that want the God. See, he wants to save everybody in your neighborhood. His heart's desire is to save everybody you work with. And we think they're impossible to save. How many, you know, there's some people, man, they're, that's, that's a rough guy. Paul was killing people. Right? He was killing people. <laughs> and it just goes to show to me that the worst case uh, right, the, the, the greatest threat to Christianity in a moment can become one of the greatest assets of Christianity. All it takes is an encounter with Jesus. One moment can change their life. One moment, amen? Um, D.L. Moody, how, how many of you have heard of the great evangelist D.L. Moody from the late 1800s, preached revivals everywhere, evangelistic. He was a teenager. A guy said, I, 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 I must share the gospel with this young man. He said he went into a little drugstore, stood in there, put his foot up on a, on a cart and said, Young Moody, he goes, you need to give your life to Jesus. And he says, I don't need any of that stuff. And, <laughs> and so he walked out and said, well, that was a failure. <laughs> that was a failure. He, what happened? D.L. Moody. We're talking about D.L. Moody. <laughs> that was a failure. Two weeks later, he, he runs into him and he says, you know what? He goes, your word stuck with me so strong that I could not shake it. He goes, I went home and I knelt down and I gave my life to Jesus. Wow. Amen. And he became a great evangelist. <laughs> became a great evangelist. That is so powerful. So he says, he, he, he says this. He says, so rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness. And so, now we think, well, that's the Apostle Paul. But I believe this commission, yes, it's apostolic, but are we a part of the same apostolic faith? Yes, it's, it's a Holy Spirit commission to take the gospel to the world, but aren't we a part of that same Holy Spirit commission to take the gospel to the world? So yeah, it was for Paul, but Paul uh, is a model for us all. In a sense, he gave the gospel to people so that, he could, so that we can go and do the exact same thing. I know this because in the book of Timothy, um, Paul, says this to, uh, Paul says this to Timothy, the things that I have shared with you, you share with faithful men so that they may share with others also. Right? So you see four generations that Paul's reaching out to. Four generations. Because the thing that he received, he wanted Timothy to give. And Timothy was to give it to others. Amen? So it's not just for Paul. But he, he, here's something I, I want us to see in this text too. Um, the, the process is, and he says, I will deliver you. So we, we know this too, that no matter where we're at, we're invincible until our mission's over. Right? The great Hudson Taylor said that. He was a great missionary. He said, I'm invincible until my mission is over. And that gives us some boldness to go out and share the gospel, right? And uh, so, but he says, so I will deliver you. So when we go out, know this, God will deliver you. He'll see you through. But then it says this, I'm sending you out to open their eyes. Church, there are people that are in gross darkness that have blinders on. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4, real quick. Second uh, Corinthians 4, because I want to say something about this. 
4, verse uh, 1. And I'm going to read down from 4.1 to 4.6. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, this ministry of the Spirit, the Spirit that brings liberation, he says, As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So we know the truth can manifest, and it, and it manifests to those who hold a good conscience that have left darkness. See, if you're blind, you can't lead someone out of darkness into the light. But when the light, and we read Paul was apprehended by the light, right? And the great, it shone brighter than the sun, and he fell on his face. And out of that, Jesus spoke and commissioned him. And all of us have been brought, that are, that are saved and redeemed, have been brought out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus. And then Paul says this, and he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds... Underline this in your Bible if you write your Bible. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe. Lest, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Hallelujah. So when we go out and preach the gospel, you know what we're doing? We're shining a light on their darkness. We're shining a light in the, in the darkness of their light. But here's something that we must understand. Uh, this is why it's so important. This is what's so important about the gospel. Because Paul wasn't to go preach his message. Paul wasn't to go preach any me- just any message. He was to preach the gospel message. So, so yeah, read on. Read on to the next verse. Because he says this. He says, um, For we do not preach ourselves, The message of Rob Kennedy can't save anybody. Even my testimony alone can't save anybody. Right? And a lot of people love to just share their testimony. We need to. That's good. But your testimony alone can't save anybody. Not just your testimony. It has to be the testimony of Jesus. Amen? So, and then he says this. He says, so we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the answer to the God of this world blinding unbelievers is that when you preach the gospel, just perhaps, perhaps God at that moment, as and Pastor Phyllis said it, you know, you know, everyone that's in here, God had a special plan and He chose you, He grabbed you and called you. Just at that moment, when you're preaching the gospel, to to that person, God can say, let there be light. Amen. And their eyes open to the truth. Their eyes open. If they don't open, Paul said, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. It's veiled to those. Because if, if you were to, no matter how eloquent you could do it, describe a glorious sunset or sunrise to someone who was born blind, no matter how descriptive you were in, how, in, 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 in the words that you chose and how you d- described the hues of the color and the way it glistened on the water and the way you described the sun and its rays and all that. No matter how well you did it, the person born blind that has never seen a sunrise or sunset and never seen water and never seen color, they could not grasp the things that you were saying. No matter how hard they would try to even imagine what you're saying, even by your very descriptive words, it would still fall short of the, of the, of the, pool, the full picture of a sunrise or sunset, wouldn't it? And that is what it's like when you're trying to preach the gospel to those that have been blinded. How many has ever done that? But while you're preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, God is speaking light. And He's declaring things. He's opening their eyes. He's opening their eyes. And that's why the gospel is so important to share. It's so important to share the good news of Jesus. And, 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 and what I want to get into real fast is the content of the gospel message is important. The content, how you say it. There's a lot of ways to preach the gospel. There's a lot of ways to share the gospel. But the, but the gospel message does have certain content in which it must contain. Right? There are certain elements in which it must contain. So when Paul is saying here, um, 
Let me, let me go back to Acts chapter 26. We want to see blind eyes open. How about you? Amen. I want to see blind eyes open. You know, dead men don't raise themselves from the dead. Lazarus did not get himself up from the ground. Jesus had to call his name. And it's the same principle that I'm talking about. When you preach the gospel and a blind man can't see, all of a sudden God speaks light and says, let there be light. Their eyes open. The dead are awakened. The book of Ephesians says, he has made us alive. Right? He has made us alive. So um, turn with me real quick then to back in, uh, in Acts. You know what's interesting about this text, too, um, that, I'm, that I'm reading there is King Agrippa, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, one of them, is he says, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And, he, and Paul preaches the gospel to him, and he has all the content in which I'm talking about in his message to him. And he shares the gospel with his king, and he says, you've almost persuaded me. So when we go back to Corinthians where he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Some people are not going to believe. Some people are not going to respond. Some people will reject you. And how many had fear of going out and sharing the gospel because of rejection? That's one of the biggest ones, right? I, no one wants to be rejected. The last thing you want to do is have someone reject you. But if that, is, if that by itself is a criteria of you not going, you must understand they rejected Jesus. And Jesus said, they will reject you. Matter of fact, they will, some of them will kill you. The gospel's dangerous. Being a Christian is not for the faint-hearted. Right? Being a disciple of Jesus is not for the lazy. <laughs> right? Being a, being a disciple of Jesus is not an easy task. Matter of fact, it's an impossible task, apart from the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and, but God enables us and empowers us. That's why he told his disciples, even though they spent three and a half years with Jesus in the mission field, he said, don't go into all the world until first you're endued with power because he knows that it takes power for the mission. Right? Because so, you can't do it. That's how serious it is. Um, but because he does give us the Holy Spirit, he hasn't given us the Holy Spirit so that we can hide the gospel. He's given us the Holy Spirit so we can share the gospel. Amen? And have the courage and the tenacity to do it. Because a disciple of Jesus is willing to lay down his life and go wherever, it, wherever the Lord leads to win souls to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So back over here in Acts chapter, real fast, Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 24. I'm not going to read all this, but I want, I want to show something because it ties in with 26. This is Peter, and he's going to Cornelius' house. And we, we know the story well, but uh, at 10, verse 24, it says, In the following day, and Peter, he says, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together with his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Um, isn't that a perfect scenario to preach the gospel? <laughs> Perfect, perfect scenario. They had, they had come together, and then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go of, of one another to another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean or common. And I just, for all of us here, no matter what they look like, no matter how distant they seem or unholy or sinful or dark or lost or depraved, God does not want you to consider them common or unclean. He wants to liberate them. He wants to set them free. We cannot look at the world through religious lenses. We cannot judge the world um, while we have the speck in our eye, right? And we're trying to pull logs out of the world's eyes. You know what you can't do? You cannot moralize a dead person. You cannot moralize someone who's blind. And what do I, what do I mean by that? This is what the church is guilty of. We're, I am, we all are. We impose our Christian values and ethics and the law of God. We impose on society who's depraved, lost, and in sin. And we expect them to live holy lives just like us. And we do so. And how, isn't that impossible? Like, it's like, how can you get someone who's not saved to live as a Christian? But yet we expect society to do so. So we fight against abortion. We fight against um, all the injustices that we see. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things and stand our place in society. But what I'm trying to say is you can't moralize society and get them to become Christians without the grace and power of God setting them free. 
So what the church does is, if they, if they, if because they are so depraved, and we want, we don't want to be around their depravity and their darkness, and so we get in our little Christian bubbles and we huddle and we have our bless me sessions and we do all the things that we do in our Christian circles as long as we're not untouched by the filthiness of the world, right? But God is calling every one of us. Don't call them unclean or uncommon. I want you to go to them because I'm saving them. I'm saving them. The worst person, R.A. Torrey, a great, great evangelist. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the great R.A. Torrey. He said there was a man in their town, and they wanted, uh, well, actually, they said, we want souls to save, be saved. No one's being saved in our church. Do you know what they said? They said, let's find the vilest sinner in our town. And they all knew who he was. <laughs> so a group of them, you know what they did? They started fasting and praying for this vilest sinner in the church. For 10 days, they fasted and prayed for that man to be saved. And one day on a Sunday, he comes walking in, never been in church, and falls and gives his life to Jesus. And that sparked a revival in that church where multitudes of that, in that city was getting saved for Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Imagine you praying for your neighbor, praying for that heart, the hardest heart that you know, and all of a sudden God opens their eyes. And God uses you to lead them into church. And that one person could spark a revival in here. One person. Who's the vilest person you know? Who's the worst sinner that you know? Think about it in your head and just begin to pray for that person. Ask God to save them. Ask God to deliver them. So Peter goes and he steps in the house. Jump down with me um, to, to verse 34. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth. We've got to open our mouth, church. You will not get people saved if you do not open your mouth. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteously, accepted by him, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, hallelujah, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these which he, did, he both did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging him on a tree. Him, church, here it is, God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly. Now to all the people... But to, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to people. He commanded us to preach to people and testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, church, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. And the next verse, while Peter was still speaking of the word, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Isn't that awesome? But what did Peter do? He preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that Jesus alone is the one who can remit sins. So the gospel has that content in it. The death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to write that down. Paul said, this is the gospel I first delivered to you. That according to the scriptures, Christ died. And according to the scriptures, he was buried. And according to the scriptures, on the third day, he was raised from the dead. It sounds simple. Like, that's too simple. There's got to be more that we've got to share. There's got to be more things that we've got to add to it. But that's the problem. When you start adding to the gospel, you take away its power. Right? It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's really this. It's the gospel plus nothing that equals everything. <laughs> right? But the gospel plus something that we add in equals nothing. You end up rendering of his power. Here's why I know this to be true, because this is what Paul preached, even to King Agrippa. But every sermon in the book of Acts contains Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Every single one of them. And that's what people responded to to be saved. That's what people need. They need to hear that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't have time, but I was going to go there. John 3, you can look at it for yourself. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Jesus, we know, messes him up by saying he's got to be born again, right? That's something that's impossible. You can't make yourself to be born again. It's a, you can't force yourself to be born again. So what does Jesus do? 
in the following passages in this nighttime visitor, this Pharisee, Jesus begins to preach the gospel to Nicodemus. That's what he does. The whole text that we read and quote and we know by heart for John 3.16 is sandwiched in the middle of a private message that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And he says, listen, just as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be raised up. And if he's lifted up, he will draw all men unto me. So what does Jesus do to Nicodemus? He preaches the gospel to him. Because he knows, he just told him he must be born again to enter the kingdom. And you can't make yourself be born again. Nicodemus knew that. He understood. How could I do? Go in my mother's womb a second time? No. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't leave him hanging, give him the impossible. He preaches the gospel to him. He tells him, listen, God loved the world, Nicodemus, so much that God sent his son. Right? That whoever would believe in him. And this son he talks about must, must go to the ground and be raised up. Death, burial, and resurrection is even in that text. So all, all through this Bible, and here's something too. Cornelius had an angel visit him. Paul had Jesus appear to him, right? But Cornelius had an angel appear to him. Cornelius was a godly man. He tithed, he gave uh, alms, he did all kinds of good stuff, right? Uh, but good works will not get you to heaven. <laughs> so, so and angels, here's, here's the thing. Even if you have a visitation from an angel, that angel did not preach the gospel to Cornelius. He said, go and call for Peter and he will tell you what you need to do to be saved. Think about that. You would think, wow, Cornelius is a godly man. He's our angels visit him, right? <laughs> he doesn't need anything else. No, even the angel told him, you've got to listen to Peter and he's going to preach the word. Peter came and preached in the gospel uh, and they were saved and the Holy Spirit fell on them. So you know what that tells me? Angels aren't going to finish our job. Amen. <laughs> right? Yep. Divine, even Paul on the Damascus Road encountered Jesus. He still needed Ananias to come to him. And what did Ananias say? Rise up and be baptized and so that you can have the forgiveness of your sins. So even then, Paul still needed his sins forgiven. Think about that. And it, and, and, and it took Ananias. So it takes you and I going to do it. It takes us sharing the gospel, not angels, not visitations of divine encounters. All those are good and needed and necessary, but that alone is not what saves people. What saves people is when they hear a person just like them begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he did for you, how he, because he rose from the dead, he has set you free. And because he set you free, and he's no respecter of persons, he'll set you free too. And he'll liberate you and deliver you. Last night there was a young man, he was uh, listening to some death metal in his earphones, and he's walking down the road. He's marine t-shirt, he's got his uh, camo backpack and his camo in the front and his boots, he just got off the bus. So obviously he's just fresh, you know, coming in from, from the military, he's in the Marines. And he's listening to some pretty crazy death metal and really loud, his headphones. And <laughs> so we go to go up to him and he basically won't even look at us. And uh, Rob's trying to hand him a Bible. He won't even acknowledge he's alive. And uh, he goes and sits down on a bench. So we don't give up, right? We're just going to pester this poor young guy. So, so we go up to him and he takes out his headphones and turns the music down, throws them in his bag. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and Rob began to, uh, you know, hey, do you want a Bible? He goes, no, religion conflicts with what I do. And he's like, oh, no, what do you mean? You're in the military, you know, you lay down your life for all, all for one. You know, Jesus gave his life too, right? I mean, it's, and uh, so no. He goes, you know what I do? He goes, I bury the dead. He said, I bury the dead. And Christianity has no place with me burying the dead. And you could see in his eyes, he was hurt. And he started to describe some of the horrors that he's seen and, you know, of, of people that he buries. And it was, it was sad. It was, it was very sad. And uh, so the Lord prompted me. This is, so, this is why there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to witnessing. And I said, you know what? I said, I can't relate to I, I said, I have, I have never seen the things you've seen, brother. I said, I've never seen them. I said, but as a pastor, I've buried a lot of people, too. I said, I've done a lot of funerals in my day, and I've been by the bedside of a lot of people who were dying. I said, and Christianity fits perfectly with burying the dead. I said, because Jesus was raised from the dead. 
And I just began to explain to him the powerful implications of resurrection. How God broke through in the middle of history and raised this man Jesus from the dead. That's why the gospel is so revolutionizing. The dead don't raise. When's the last time you've seen a graveyard emptied out? It doesn't happen. And listen, resurrection isn't just life after death. And that's what I told him. It's not about being some disembodied ghost that has nowhere to go. That's not life. That's not resurrection. Resurrection is you and your physical body, the mangled body. As a Jesus was mangled, beaten and bruised and bloodied. His body looked probably much like some of the bodies you've buried. And that body God raised from the dead. Not just His spirit. He wasn't a ghost. It was Him, embodied men. And Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And so when you bury the dead, you have the opportunity to, to, to pray and commit them into the ground to see them raised up one day in the great resurrection. That's the hope of the Christian faith, right? So even in the midst of all that, I was able to share that with him, and, and he started to break down, and he, he goes, I want to show you something. And he went in his backpack and pulled out a little camouflage Bible, New Testament, and he handed it to me. And I said, have you read that? He goes, I've read it all the way through. And I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. And I opened it up, and I just held his hand with it, and I said, Lord, every time he reads this, open his eyes to the gospel. Save his soul, set him free, and release him, and you know, you know, and just deliver him. And I just prayed a blessing on him, and 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 man, the Holy Spirit just descended. And me and Rob walked away. We we're like, oh my goodness, that was powerful, right? And 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 we and we just and you know, and he said good day, and he went on his way. And that is so powerful, though, because you never know. That's the thing; you just don't know what God is doing with somebody. It's not always about landing them. Sometimes we want to land them, get their name filled out in a salvation card. We got a quota meet, right? We, we, we're in competition. We want to see who can win the most souls. And that's fun, but it's not, a, it's not a game of how many people we can win. It's not about just landing the fish every time, right? We're not salesmen trying to meet a quota. We're, we're loving disciples of Jesus who want to see the perishing saved, the blind eyes open, those in darkness rescued. That's what we want to do. And see, the Great Commission, and I know last week I was really hard, <laughs> but the great, the great Commission is not, it's not for us just a duty. It's a privilege to participate with what God is doing in your world. And we do it out of love because we love. Jesus looked and he loved. He had compassion on the multitudes. And until we get that compassion, until we get that same resolve, until we see through the eyes of Jesus the way he's seen, until we get that, we're probably not going to be as moved and motivated to win the world. It takes that, doesn't it? When we look at them with eyes of compassion, we no longer see the unclean like Peter used to see. We no longer see a, a, a Christian killer like Paul, but we see someone who's desperate, broken, and in need of Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't that what you want to see? I want to see that. I want to see God raise up an army in this church because I see the potential that is in here, the resident latent potential in all of us. It is unbelievably powerful. There is a power deposited on the inside of us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that lifted a broken, mangled body from a grave who was crucified on a cross is the same power that lives in us and gives life to our mortal body. Isn't that powerful? And until that reality, until Jesus becomes so magnificent in our eyes, and I'll, I'll leave you guys with this too. Self-preservation is an enemy of the cross. Amen. It's an enemy of the gospel. It's an, we, all want, we all want to preserve ourselves. We want to protect our reputations. We don't want to be rejected. We have fear. We have all kinds of legitimate, sometimes legitimate excuses of why we don't step out more. But just know this, that self-preservation is an enemy of the cross of Jesus. If Jesus self-preserved himself, he would have never went to the cross. And what did Jesus tell all of his followers? He says, if you desire to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And where's Jesus going? To the broken, and to the hurting, and to the lost. And it's going to take some dying to the flesh. I, every Tuesday that we go out, I don't want to go before we go. <laughs> like something happens where all of a sudden it's like, man, I don't want to go tonight. 
I sure would rather just do this or, you know, I'd rather curl up with a good book. You know, I love books. So like, I'd rather just sit home and read theology, you know. <laughs> but, but no, guess what? There's perishing people out there. And if we don't go, every week people are saved. If we don't go, they're not getting saved. That man's knee wouldn't have been healed. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have testified that he loved Jesus. All of a sudden encountered the love of Jesus. And you know what? It says in Luke 10 that the 70 after Jesus sent them out, it says they returned with joy. How many can use some joy in your life? Right? You know why we have joyless Christians? Because we have Christians that don't share the word of God. When we don't share, when we become an island unto ourselves, we dry up. Don't matter how much Bible you know, how much praying you do, if there's no outlet for it, you just dry up. Because there's some people that can quote, outquote the Bible any day of the week, and they're miserable. Pharisees knew it backwards and forwards. They were miserable. They couldn't rejoice over a miracle. They were so miserable. But some, some fishermen and some tax collectors and a bunch of you know, disgruntled misfits and miscreants that Jesus gathered together, uh, they came back full of joy. And the Bible says that Jesus himself rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, that God had revealed it not to babes, not to those who, you know, would seemingly deserve it, but to babes. And I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to rejoice over me. And every time we step out, Jesus is in heaven rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Look at Daniel go. Look at Lisa go. Look at John go. Look at, right? like, look at them go. They're out there. They're sharing the gospel with people. I rejoice that it's not the prudent and the wise, but it's, the, it's, it's this, these little babes in Christ. The preaching of the gospel is foolish, and you will sound foolish. It's crazy to go up to someone and tell them that a man 2,000 years ago died on a cross, and that means something to you today. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's just, it's ludicrous. I, it's ludicrous to say, I believe that this man who died 2,000 years ago is coming back. And matter of fact, he's going to return on a white horse, right? I mean, and he's going to return in power, and there's going to be blood up to the reins, and there's going to be the sword of the Spirit coming out of his mouth. His eyes are like fire. You start telling someone that. Tell me the gospel isn't foolishness to those who are perishing, right? But this God, Jesus, raised from the dead. All those people, all the wise uh, Athenians at Mars Hill that thought they knew everything, and all the philosophers and the Stoics and all those guys when Peter, they listened to him. Tell us some strange thing you got. They wanted to hear something new. But when Peter got to the resurrection, it changed everything. As soon as he got to the part that God raised this man, Jesus, from the dead, whoa, that don't happen. <laughs> that don't happen. See, that's foolishness. It's crazy talk. To talk about God raising someone from the dead. But that's what gives the gospel power. If it was just a man who died in our place without being raised, where would the power be? Right? The resurrection is what gives the cross potency and power. And that's, and, and that's why all of our gospel presentations must include the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here, here's just a little advice. I was going to do something, but it's getting late. But here, here's a little advice. This is something good, because here's what you want to do. There's three things. You want to hear their story. You want to share your story. And you want to share Jesus' story. Amen? You want to hear their story. It's very important to let them talk. It's very important to hear where they're at. We're not there just to, you know, bombard them. <laughs> you know, over now, sometimes you don't have very long. Uh, sometimes you only got a second. Um, but the point is you want to hear the story. Let them talk. And when they talk, they'll, they'll reveal where they're at. And then that's how you tie in your story. Well, you know what? You know what God's done for me? Right? And uh, Jen is so good at this. She just she gives her testimony. It's so powerful. And, uh, and she is. She's awesome when we're out there. She'll just launch into how Jesus set her free. And she'll start crying and, and how God delivered her and, 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 how, you know, and how, how she used to be messed up. But she felt his presence. And she's like, it's real. You know, God is so real. Next thing you know, they're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she does. She's so great at that. And uh, she'll just launch into just. And, but see, but you do that. You can't just go up to someone and start telling them that. You've got to get their story out. And then you can tell. But then you don't just tell your story because your story don't save anybody. You've got to get to the gospel. And the gospel has to have the contents. Three things. What, is it? what are they? Death, burial, and resurrection. 
There's a lot to the gospel. I mean, right? There's a lot to the gospel message. But how come Peter didn't go into all those details? Neither did Paul. Now, he did in his writing to the church to equip us and raise us up, but he didn't when he was trying to win the lost. With the lost, he was concerned with one thing, Christ and him crucified, right? And that means he was crucified for our sins, buried. And while he was buried, you know what he did? He snatched the keys of death out on the grave, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And that always gets him. I think, you know what I think we've done as a church, because we're so used to Easter, we're so used to the gospel, we've become inoculated to it, right? As Christians, we're inoculated to the gospel. And I'm closing with this, final closing. <laughs> As Christians, we become inoculated. Um, we, we run into people out downtown, they can, they can preach it better than you, but there's no transformation in their life, right? We've lost the awe of resurrection. We've, we've lost the majesty of the gospel, because it's become, yeah, I know that, but I want something deeper. I want greater revelation, right? I want deeper things, deep, right? And so we move on from the central thing that, has liberate, that will liberate the world. And we leave it back there where we started out, and we want, we want the heavy revy. Could I tell you something? I guarantee you that the gospel is deeper than you've ever imagined. It's deeper than we've ever imagined. C.H. Spurgeon said this. He said, the gospel is shallow enough for a little baby to splash and play in and never drown, but deep enough for the most skilled diver to never plunge its depths. That's the power of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, <laughs> I thank you for only believe. I thank you that the DNA of this church is to take the gospel to the world. And that, Lord, me and Jen didn't come from Florida up to a church that doesn't want to win souls. Well, we came up here because this church wants to win souls. And that you want this church to win souls. And that this church has won souls, countless souls. And it's the very fabric of our nature. So, Lord, I pray that you take that DNA, that, that, that foundational structure of only believe, and you light it on fire, Lord. Cause it to burn hotter than ever, brighter than ever. Lord, and I pray that we would set ourselves on fire and, Lord, all of Ohio would watch us burn. That, Lord, you would set hearts on fire, stoke the coals, and rekindle a passion for our first love. Calls every one of us in here tonight, Lord, to love your gospel and to want to go share it in Jesus' name. Amen.